That is such a great way to uh, dive into the Word of God. I'm going to talk about the sermon you preach, Romans 10. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And a funny Old Testament story from Numbers 11. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with them. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on them and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who'd been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. The U.S. government once printed a manual for the Peace Corps workers who were sent to work in the Amazon jungle, and one of the chapters in the manual was devoted to describing what should be done in case you're attacked by an anaconda snake. Now, do you know what an anaconda snake is? If you don't, it's the largest snake in the world. It's a cousin of the boa constrictor. It can grow up to 35 feet long and weigh between 30, 350 and 400 pounds. Here's the instructions from the manual. If you are attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against one another. Tuck your chin in. The snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Do not panic. <laughs> After the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end, always from the feet end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. The snake will begin to suck your legs into its body. This will take a long time. You must lie perfectly still. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, 
and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and the leg, and suddenly ripping upwards, sever the snake's head. And the chapter ends with these final words, always be sure you have your knife. <laughs> and be sure your knife is sharp. Now they're trying to make it sound simple, but it's not always easy to be prepared. There are just certain things we face in life, no matter how much we prepare for them, we tend to panic. Like, for example, preaching. You'd think preachers would get the hang of it Sunday after Sunday, week after week, but most preachers I know find grappling with the scripture text and then struggling to write and deliver a sermon is a scary, exhausting experience, kind of like wrestling with an anaconda snake, and we're not sure if that text isn't going to swallow us alive in the process. So it's scary at times being a preacher, and yet I want to say in the same breath, it's more than worth it. Because I believe what our text in Romans says, that preaching is a means by which God communicates the good news of Christ to others. How can people hear without someone to preach to them, says Paul? And the answer, not very easily. In the grand scheme of things, preaching is important, and that gives me courage. It keeps me going. But there's something else that keeps me going, and it's almost the flip side of what I've just said. And that is that in the New Testament, preaching has very little to do with the delivery of sermons to those who've already been converted. In the New Testament, preaching predominantly is the proclamation of the good news of Christ at any time to anyone in any place. Preaching is sharing good news in every circumstance. And so I want to underscore today, what I want to underscore is that biblically speaking, preaching the gospel is not limited to paid professional preachers in a pulpit. In fact, the 16th century reformer Martin Luther argued the only reason preachers preach in a pulpit on Sundays is so that everybody else can preach the rest of the week. The passage we've read from Romans 10 does not leave preaching to the prose. In fact, some translations don't even use the word preaching to describe the act of telling others about Christ. In the Greek, the word is caruso. The NRSV uses the word proclamation. The New Living says telling others. I love how Eugene Peterson, the message, puts it. He says, everyone who calls help God gets help. But how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? I love the way Peterson puts it, telling others, because it's not only more accurate, but it's a more inclusive word. We hear the word preach, and at least in our minds, most of us think pulpit and church and preacher. But the word proclamation broadens the understanding. It's a way of saying, don't leave all the preaching to the professional preachers. Every Christian is called to proclaim Christ, all of us.
I like the way Barbara Brown Taylor has put it, that everyone in the church, all of us here at Tyndale, are called by God to participate in the ministry of the Word. Not only responding to particular sermons, but by doing during the week what the minister does on Sunday for 20 minutes from a pulpit. That is, helping people make connections between the Christian faith and their daily lives. That's what preaching the gospel is. And it means that while our trips to the pulpit may be few and far between, the good news of Christ cannot help but creep into our everyday life, our everyday conversation. And so that means the sermons that all of us preach seven days a week are conversations with colleagues and midnight talks with our children and telephone calls to hurting friends. That is the ministry of the word. That's proclamation. That's preaching. And that means, friends, we all need to be prepared to preach, to proclaim the good news, because God is at work in every single one of us. Nobody has a monopoly on God's word and spirit. You may not be a professional, but you are a proclaimer. Nobody has a monopoly in God's word and spirit. That's what's being affirmed in that funny story in Numbers 11. Do you remember what happened? A little tattletale came running up to Moses to snitch on Eldad and Medad, who had begun prophesying, which means basically they weren't just speaking about God, they were speaking for God. Now, up to this point, Moses was pretty much God's main mouthpiece, although just recently the Lord spread the Spirit around a bit, enabling 70 of the elders to prophesy, at least for a time. But apparently Eldad and Medad didn't get the memo. They weren't at the meeting. And when Joshua, Moses' lieutenant, hears what these two guys are up to, he gets so upset that, that he thinks Moses' authority is being undermined that he says, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Joshua wants Moses to put out a prophetic restraining order. Because after all, Joshua seems to reason, we can't have uncredentialed, we can't have uncertified people speaking on behalf of God, can we? But you have to go to school for that. I love Moses' response. Remember what he says? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. Moses was one preacher who apparently wasn't interested in being put on a pedestal. He was no bully in the pulpit. He wanted to share this ministry of prophesying, and he welcomed the fact that the Spirit was given a gift of speech to all of God's people. So, friends, I want to remind us of something today and to give us a word of caution. And that is that all of us have got to be careful that we don't make the pulpit into a pedestal. Don't ever let me do that when I teach preaching to some of you. Don't you do that either. We mustn't let the preacher hog all the preaching because every Christian is a proclaimer. Proclaiming the gospel is not a personal possession of the few. All of God's people need to be prepared to preach. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. 
So I want to ask you to be thinking about the sermon you're preaching. The sermon you're preaching. The sermon you preach with your life day by day. Are you prepared or are you panicking? It is a daunting task. Do you know the name Joseph Turner? He was a famous English landscape painter in the 19th century. And it's reported that Turner one day went to the seaside to paint a picture of the ocean. But after about an hour and several un unsuccessful attempts to get started, he threw down his brushes in the sand and said with resignation, it keeps growing greater and greater. I cannot ever paint it. And you know, I think that's probably how many of us feel a lot of the time as we attempt to proclaim the good news about Jesus. We panic because it grows greater and greater every day, and we feel overwhelmed. We feel we can never do it justice. We can't communicate it adequately, and yet we must try. One of the ways we preach, one medium we can start with, of course, is with our actions. We preach by what we do. The person who said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one, understood that. Preach the gospel at all times, said St. Francis. If necessary, use words. <laughs> we preach by what we do, and so much of our time our actions speak louder than words. And what that means is that we are called to preach to communicate the gospel the way God did, incarnationally, in our lives. When God had something to say savingly to his world, he sent his son. The heart and soul of our faith, the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us, as John says in his prologue. The word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us to show us the gospel. And when it comes to the sermon we preach, God uses his people, God uses the church, God uses us in that same incarnational way to flesh out his message of love. It's very much like the old saying we've all heard, you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. Mission teams, did you hear that? What's the sermon, the message that our actions are preaching? Of course, we know it takes more than actions to communicate the gospel of Christ. Words are critically important too. Both things, what we say and what we do, are necessary. It's not either or, it's both and. Sometimes words are necessary so I can tell you what my actions really mean. But words, that's precisely where some of us struggle and panic. Words. Sometimes we think if we can use bigger words, that bigger is better, which is absolutely ridiculous if the point is to communicate clearly. For example, let's say the message you're trying to communicate is the one that I learned, oh, well, long time ago in high school typing class. The quick brown fox jumps over the lazy dog. You do that to learn to, to type in all the keys you understand what that means, right? Now, you could say, as somebody has suggested, say that same message with big words, which would sound something like this. 
the expeditious Fuchsius Reynard steeplechases on top of the ergophobic whelp. Now you could say it that way, but why would anybody ever say it that way? Because most people won't have the faintest idea what you're talking about. So it's better to keep it simple. Put the cookie on the lowest shelf. You don't have to use big words or specialized theological vocabulary to talk about men and women being separated from God because people understand broken relationships. We're living in them. You don't have to use big words to talk about God's relentless love for us in Christ because people are dying of loneliness. You don't have to use big words to talk about the call to discipleship because people are longing for meaning and purpose in life. And so what we must strive for in our words is not complexity, but simplicity and clarity in order that what we say might be understood. Aim for clarity in our words. A sign on the front door of a business said, push, if that doesn't work, pull, if that doesn't work, we're closed. <laughs> That's clarity. We need that in the sermon we preach. So friends, here you have it. I guess you could say we're in God's Peace Corps. We all know it's a jungle out there sometimes, but we have our training manual, the Word of God, the Bible, and it's urging us to be prepared to preach, to prophesy, to proclaim the Word of God. And I know that sometimes we're reluctant to take the risk. We fear failure so much. We fear to try something new because we're not experts. But friends, to be prepared to preach our sermon does not mean, does not mean we have to know it all. We don't have to panic because we don't have all the loose ends nailed down just yet. We're simply called to share what we know is true and what we're excited about, what gives us joy. After all, you don't need to be like Julia Child, a master chef, or Jamie Oliver to be able to tell a friend where there's a great restaurant that's got some good food. You don't have to be a botanist to tell a loved one about this beautiful rose that started blooming in your garden. And you don't need, oops, should I say this in seminary? You don't need a PhD in theology to lovingly and convincingly share the message of God's love in Christ to other people. You don't. It helps sometimes, but you don't. A stranger once entered a church in the middle of the sermon, seated himself in the back row, and a while he began to fidget there, leaning over to the white-haired gentleman in front of him, evidently a long-term member of this congregation. The visitor whispered, how long has he been preaching? And the white-haired gentleman turned around and said, oh, I think 30 or 40 years. And the visitor said, well, I guess I'll stay then because he must be get, get through soon. Friends, the proclamation of the gospel is so much more than a preacher's 20-minute sermon. For all of us, the sermon we preach will take 30 or 40 years, a lifetime to preach. So God help us to be prepared. God help us not to panic. God give us the words to say and the heart to live it. God help me 
God help our student mission teams. And God help you with the sermon you preach. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word.